We're in a series called Abide. And the goal of this sermon series is to get people to abide in the Word of God and have a renewed commitment to read, believe, understand, and obey God's Word. But, sometimes when we read the Word, we have doubts. So, help me out here. We need a lot of help because there's space this morning. Complete this phrase. When in doubt. Oh, don't repeat. Complete. <laughs> That's on me. When in doubt, stop, drop, and roll. What else do we have? When in doubt? Pray. Pray. What else do we have? Pray God's word. We don't have a clear answer. We don't know what to do when in doubt. And if you ask different people, you'll get different answers. Like Benjamin Franklin said, when in doubt, don't. Very cautious approach to life. But there was a Grammy award-winning uh, music musician. Uh, his name was Henry Chapin. Does that sound familiar? He says, when in doubt, do it anyway. Different responses. We don't know what to do with our doubts. And we see this tension in our hope, in our house, in our home with our approach to expired food, or potentially expired food. Now, here's my approach. When I think something's expired, when it might be expired, my approach is when in doubt, throw it out. I'm cautious, and I think that's reasonable. I want to make sure my family is eating safe food. I want to make sure my pregnant wife, my three-year-old daughter, are eating safe food. Now, Jericho's approach, she's willing to take a little more risk. Jericho's approach is basically, when in doubt, smell it first. <laughs> when in doubt, look for mold. I think that's pretty reasonable too. Right? You, you want to be able to see if things have changed. Obviously, we're in Vegas, we have a drier climate, food lasts longer here. So what if the bread's just a little bit stale? We can still eat it, it's still good, it's still nourishment. But then there's my mom. <laughs> She's declaring God's word all over that food. Because her approach is when in doubt, eat it anyway. And if you feel sick, it was bad. But my mom's over there praying. The word says if they eat any deadly poison, it will not harm them. And she's been right most of the time. A couple times my stomach disagreed. The point is, we don't know what to do with our doubts. And it's funny when it comes to food, most of the time. But there are obviously much bigger doubts in the world. And we're going to go to a passage in the Bible where doubts were probably everywhere. But before we do that, let's pray. Join me. Lord, we thank you that you're here, that you're pleased, that you want to meet with us and speak to us. So God, I pray that you can do a work in our hearts that only you can. Speak to our doubts. Help us to move forward in faith in Jesus' name. There was a place in John chapter 5 where, assuming most of the people present were living with some level of doubt. In fact, probably more doubt than average. This place was the pool of Bethesda. We find it in John chapter 5. Reading verses 2 through 4. Again, if you need the notes, every nation wants to get Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in 
Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. So there are hurting people everywhere. And these people were probably filled with doubt. Then one person, at a time, at a random time, could get healed. And that's awesome. And I'm sure people were happy to an extent, but for the rest of them, who lost the race into the pool, it was probably disappointing. And I'm sure it filled them with doubt. Whenever they lost that race, and some of them lost that race again, and again, and again. Until the doubt in your heart accumulates, and your spiritual ailments, your spiritual condition, begins to match your physical condition. And you just find yourself broken. But if you find yourself losing that, that race, thinking to yourself, I doubt that I'll ever be healed. That just makes you normal. Because doubts exist in our damaged world. And that's probably clearest at this pool with one man in particular. Because this man had lost the race over and over and over again for decades. John chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I am going, another steps down before me. Now let's notice what this man said and what this man didn't say in response to Jesus. Jesus asked him a pretty straightforward question. Sir, do you want to be healed? Now you'd think there would be a straightforward answer to that. Yes! Yes, I want to be healed. I've been here for 38 years, sir. What do you... Do you think I like the pool? I can't swim. But instead of answering with a straightforward yes, the man says, I can't. There's no one there to help me. Someone beats me. Something comes up. Something gets in the way. Now, I'm certain that this man had some desire to be healed because he was there. And we can tell by the tone and content of his response that the desire wasn't all sunshine and butterflies and rainbows. That his, son, that his desire was accompanied by doubt. And he lived in this tension of doubt and desire permanently. And yet he found himself continuing forward with his head down, half-hearted. And I think when we think about this man's situation, we think about this man's condition, we can find ourselves identified with him. Because I bet a lot of us have been in that place. Where we desire to know God. We desire to see him move. We desire to see him work in our families, in our workplaces and in our churches and at the same time as we have these desires we also see reasons for doubt and we continue forward living with this weird mix of desire for God and doubt we don't know what to do with it we don't know what to do about our doubts 
In particular, we don't know what to do with some of the biggest doubts we could face as people. The biggest doubts we could have as Christians. Because sometimes we doubt our salvation. We doubt that we've been truly changed and saved by Jesus. Or we doubt that when we pass on from this life, there's eternity waiting for us. We love to say that your last breath on earth is going to be your first breath on earth. But we want to believe that. There's a desire. And sometimes, if we're honest, we might have a doubt. What do we do when we doubt of our salvation? When we doubt the biggest things that make us Christians. The answer to that question has less to do with us and much more to do with Jesus Christ. The answer is in Jesus because it's Jesus who has the ability to give life. Now we see Jesus being this man and they have this conversation. Then we pick up again in John chapter 5 verses 8 and 9. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And then once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. This is a man who lived in his doubt for decades. At least three, probably closer to four. Helpless and unable to move forward, physically and spiritually. And then Jesus shows up. He heals this man. And he gives him life. This man at the pool of Bethesda experienced the life-giving power of God for himself. And everyone around the pool witnessed it too. The other people who needed healing saw it. Even the Pharisees saw it. So every Christian, virtually all of us, have either experienced or witnessed the life-giving power of God for ourselves. Isn't that true? Most of us met God the deepest, darkest places of our lives. When we were hurt, when we were lost, when we felt abandoned, when we felt betrayed, and we thought nothing could give us life. That's exactly where God met us. And we have experienced on a personal level what it means to find life-giving power in God. But we've also seen God heal people physically. At this point, I'm sure most of us know what happened with Uncle Dennis. Dennis, he last year. In fact, I was talking with DJ and Leah this morning. By the way, today's Leah's birthday. Happy birthday, Leah. And Nolan? Nolan today. Happy birthday, Nolan. He doesn't care. Now, today is a happy day. Last year, not so much. Because last year, Uncle Dennis was on a ventilator, hospitalized. They had to fly out because they were making the decision whether or not to pull the dog out of the preparing to see their final device. And yet, Beth, DJ, and Leah, and Ashley, their families kept on praying. There was an army of people praying. We were praying. And one particular night, Matthew Beth shared with me in the lobby, she had a vision. I don't want to go into too much detail because I'll probably tell the whole story later. But she saw God pit. Dennis up in his hands and breathe on him. And then, then there was a call from the nurse saying that his breathing miraculously increased and it jumped up. And 
they went from thinking Uncle Dennis might have been on his deathbed to seeing him every single week. Yeah. Yeah. He drove here. <laughs> right? Well, they can't go. God gives us life. God gives us life physically. God gives us life spiritually and emotionally. Most of us know Caleb's story too. Caleb attempted to take his own life twice. And he told the story before. It was while he was at the institution the second time. He called out to God and God met him right there. God gave him purpose that he didn't know he could have. And now he's on this trajectory toward being in ministry himself. He's following God. He's making an impact. He's ministering to the campus. God gave him life. God wants to give us this life. And the beautiful thing about all these signs of life, these moments where God gives life to the people around us, where God even gives life to us, they become like these road signs lined up on a freeway. And before the days of GPS, all you could do was follow the sign and then keep going in the right direction. I remember one of my first attempts to go from Las Vegas to California. There were moments that the cell phone lost reception. I had Sprint. Sprint doesn't have all, didn't have all the support it does right now. I lost reception. I didn't know what to do except to keep going on and following the sign. And the sign said, LA, 150 miles. LA, 120 miles. But you keep going because if you keep going in the right direction, you'll reach your destination. When we see these moments of God-given life all around us, they're like signs lining up on the freeway. And they're signs that point us from the life we experience in God on earth to the life we experience in God throughout all of eternity. And all we have to do is go in the right direction. It's not a straight shot. There are lots of twists and turns and detours in the room. Hills and valleys. And yet the signs are there. If we continue going in that direction, we'll find ourselves where we want to be. Jesus has the ability to give life. And Jesus has the authority to judge. Now, he makes this really big, powerful, and interesting statement in John chapter 5, verse 22. Personally, it's not something that I've seen before. Here's what Jesus says. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So I don't know about everyone else, but I had always assumed that we would stand before God the Father on Judgment Day. I thought that Daddy God, Abba God, would spank us and then we'd go into heaven. But that's not the case. Because the Father has given all rights and responsibilities for judgment over to Jesus Christ. That means Jesus has the final say. He has the final say on morality. He has the final say on eternity. Whatever Jesus says goes. In the United States, we know that we have the United States Supreme Court. And we have these lower level federal courts. And when they have these issues regarding the Constitution, they can appeal to the higher court. And these appeals work their way up until it reaches the Supreme Court. Now when it reaches the Supreme Court, the justices hear the case, they vote. And they make a decision. And when the Supreme Court makes the decision, nobody can say otherwise. For good and bad. Now, the Senate, 
not the courts, not the Congress, not the President. The Supreme Court has the final say. Whatever the court says goes. That's the kind of authority God the Father entrusted to Jesus Christ. Whatever Jesus says goes. It gives us a lot of insight into who he is, into how big he is, into how great his authority is. Learning this about Jesus as I prepare for this sermon caused my understanding about him to grow and my esteem and love and appreciation for him to grow. And we can grow in our understanding of God, our belief in God throughout our lives. So we find ourselves in our lowest moments, if we're honest, as Christians, sometimes potentially doubt our salvation. And as a result, we live with a fear of death, and we live with this fear of judgment. But look at who Jesus is. Jesus has the ability to give life. And Jesus has the authority to judge. That means Jesus is the direct answer to our greatest doubts and fears. And when we realize that these answers that we're looking for, they're in Jesus that causes us to acknowledge Jesus. That's God's goal in all this, for us to acknowledge Jesus. John 5.23 says that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. The Bible continues to build on this idea. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We are meant to acknowledge Jesus. We are meant to honor Jesus. And honor is a better word, but acknowledge fits the sermon better. I don't know if you noticed, it's all alliteration, it's all words. Ability and authority. So we acknowledge. So we're going to go with acknowledge today. We need to have memorable words because we don't have We need to acknowledge Jesus. But whatever we're going to use, whatever we're going to call it between acknowledging Jesus and honoring Him, it means the same thing. In the Greek, that word honor actually comes from the word to price something, to determine the value of something, or to affix a price on something. To give something value, to give something worth. Uh, my current hobby, some of you know it's sports cards. I was picking, <coughs> my, my last semester trip to Hawaii, I was picking through a sports card shop and I found a Kobe Bryant rookie card. In a little box off to the side, and it was 35 bucks, so I bought it. And I realized that they were selling it for double the price on eBay. So if anybody knows some of the History Channel, let me know. Because we listen to a show, it be a cool show. <laughs> but sports cards, like everything else, it's all about value. Because the way we value something determines what we believe about it. If I value a sports card, like the Kobe rookie card, at a higher price than what it's really worth, then I'm going to come to believe, hey, maybe this is undervalued. Maybe this is overvalued. Perhaps the player plays for a particular team and they get a lot of attention. So their card is overvalued. And it makes me believe that this price can come down. Our values determine our beliefs. And then our values 
determine our behaviors. In the example of that rookie card, I saw it, I believed that it was undervalued, and I took the action of buying it. Our values determine our beliefs and our behaviors. This is true for cards, and it's true for Christ, because our values will determine our belief and behavior, the way we value Jesus, the way we honor Jesus, the way we acknowledge Him, will determine what we believe about Him. Is Jesus who He said He is? Does He have authority to judge? Is He really the Son of God? Our willingness to acknowledge, honor, and value Jesus determines our behavior. If we truly value Jesus as having greater value than anyone else, and this is a very specific wording that Jesus uses here, he says, value the Son just as they value the Father. It's putting an equal price tag on them. If we believe that Jesus has the greatest value, it will determine our behavior and we'll start to do as he says. That's what it means to acknowledge God. That's what it means to honor God. We believe what he says, we believe in who he is, and we behave more like him. And now our acknowledgement our honor of God can grow because our belief in Jesus can grow over time. We can learn more about God. We can believe more deeply. We can study a little more. We can download that devotional guide for the Abide Fasting series this week. And our belief grows. Our behavior can grow to become more Christ-like. So perhaps we've acknowledged God to some extent in the past. But maybe God is challenging us this morning to acknowledge Him just a little bit more. To grow in the way we believe in Him. To grow in our behavior. To be more like Christ. And we do this for God because He deserves it. We acknowledge Him. We value Him. That's the kind of response He deserves. And when we give Jesus the acknowledgement that He deserves, He gives us something in return. We acknowledge Christ we acknowledge Jesus, and Jesus gives us assurance. Assurance is the fourth name today. Ability, authority, acknowledgement, and assurance. No him says, and I'm sure a lot of you know it, blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. God wants to give us this blessed assurance. And now in this passage, Jesus is about to shift the focus. And he goes from things that we find in him to a promise that he gives to us. John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. When we believe in Jesus, he gives us eternal life. In other words, when we acknowledge Christ, Christ assures us. That's what we do when in doubt. When in doubt of our salvation, when in doubt of our eternity, when in doubt of our relationship with God, we acknowledge Christ. And Christ assures us. It's not about us. It's not about what we can do. And thank God it's not about us and what we can do. It's all about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And that's why the answer to our doubt is not for us to go and do something. 
It's worth us to remember what Jesus did. Remember, our acknowledgement of God can grow. So if our acknowledgement of God grows, then our assurance in God grows too. Now this passage is really neat that it's written, it's spoken by Christ in a way as to illustrate growth through its very structure. First, we see this encounter with a man at the pool of Bethesda in the beginning of John chapter 5. And in this, we see the ability of Christ to give life illustrated in a real example. And because of time, didn't have time to talk about this today, then the Pharisees questioned Jesus on the basis of the Sabbath. God commanded the Sabbath because man was made to need rest. On the Sabbath, man is designed to cease work and to rest and contemplate and enjoy God and to delight in his work. But Jesus' response to them was, you guys have to do that. I don't have to do that. Every single man that God has made has to do that. Every man should do that. Except me. In saying that, Jesus is essentially telling us, I am not a man. Jesus then went on to say, as the Father, as God is working, so I continue to work. In this statement, earlier in John chapter 5, Jesus is claiming deity. He's claiming his authority. And then Jesus makes it plain. And he talks about his ability to give life. And he talks about his authority. And he talks about the fact that we need to acknowledge him. And if we acknowledge him, we find assurance in him. In this moment of passages we looked at Jesus uh, today, he uses the phrasing for or because four times as it escalates. For whatever the Father does, the Son does. For the Father loves the Son. For the Father gives life and the Son gives life. For I have the ability to judge. Jesus is building something. This passage also uses that phrase, truly, truly, which in Greek is amen, amen, three times. To take three thoughts and build on them, one after another, after another. It's like floor by floor, layer by layer, creating this idea that our assurance in God can grow over time. It's like this tower of assurance and confidence that grows as we continue to follow Jesus. Floor by floor, layer by layer, over and over again. I've experienced the ability of Jesus to give life. I believe in his authority a little bit more. I am acknowledging God through the way I believe. I am acknowledging God by becoming more like Jesus, behaving a little more like him. And now I have more assurance in God because of it. And over time as we follow Jesus, this tower of assurance and confidence in God grows and it becomes bigger in all of our accounts. The doubts still come because we still live in this damaged world and we'll live here in a world in which COVID takes out half our team during the week until Jesus comes back and we're with him for all of eternity. But this tower of assurance in God, this confidence in God can be something come so big, so great that it weathers the storms, weathers allows us to continue on in Him. Jesus builds one more layer of assurance in verses 5, uh, chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. I'll conclude this here with this passage. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will 
For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, and all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus repeats this pattern here. Assurance grows. But the final statement raises an interesting question. Because first, verse 24, Jesus says, He who believes will have eternal life. Then here in verse 29 it says, Those who do good works will have eternal life. So which is it? Are we saved by belief? Are we saved by faith? Or are we saved by our works? There's a relationship between the two. We are saved by faith, by God's grace, through faith. But the works come later. It's like this. Jericho's in her third child, Mr. Ralph. And when our daughter is born, she, by God's grace, will be healthy. And healthy babies follow a natural pattern of development. First, they begin to crawl. And then they start to stand up, and then they start to take steps, and they walk. And eventually they start to run. And eventually they run all over the house, even when there are things everywhere. And they give you anxiety. Development is natural. Speech is the same way. First, babies begin to use baby talk. But then, they'll say one or two words at a time, and those words will develop into sentences, and then they'll learn to read, and they'll learn to write, because development is natural. Development is natural when you're born physically, and development is natural when you're born spiritually. So it's only natural that we, in our walk with God, as we're learning to transition from crawling to walking, stand up, and we stumble. We're developing. The answer to that stumble is not to stay down and curl for the rest of your life. The answer is to get up and fall again. And again, and again, the Bible tells us, though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. Now the number seven there is important. Because seven in the Bible often represents the number of completion. So, when the Bible says, though a righteous man falls seven times, though a righteous man a righteous woman falls sometimes. What it's really telling us is though you feel like a complete failure, get back up again. Now sometimes we have these moments in our walks with God, I've been there before, where we continue to struggle with doubt, or we continue to struggle with some area of bondage, and it's because of this continued struggle that we begin to doubt our salvation. And we begin to doubt that we've truly been saved or changed, or that we're truly loved and forgiven because we're struggling. How does assurance come when we continue to struggle? And the answer is assurance should come because we're struggling. Imagine this, we're all on a Together we're looking out at the sea and the waves are big, we're in a storm. There's wind, there's rain, the waves are high and the boat is rocking. Someone is seasick, probably more than one person. But as we look out across the horizon, 
in the breaks between the waves, we see two people. Now the first of the two people is struggling to swim, fighting for his life. And maybe a wave comes and it pushes him under the water. And for five, ten, fifteen seconds at a time, we don't know what happened to this man. Whether he, his head breaks the surface, he gasps for air, and he continues to fight and struggle for his life. We look over to the other side and we see one more person. Now this person is not struggling. This person is just floating. Head down in the waves, bobbing up and down. Now on this boat we have one life preserver, one ring to throw, and one of these two people. Who do we throw the ring to? Who do we throw the lifesaver to? Throw it to the person who's struggling. Because their struggle is proof that they're alive. The other guy might not be there anymore. But the one who's struggling, we know he's alive. Because that struggle is proof of life. And when it comes to following God, there are going to be moments in our walk with God where we struggle. And that struggle is a very good thing. Because that struggle proves that we're alive in Jesus. If we weren't alive in Jesus, there'd be no reason to struggle. There'd be no reason to be convicted of sin. There'd be no reason to think, this is wrong, perhaps I should change. There'd be no reason to look forward in faith to something greater than us that we can't see. And therefore, no reason to realize, I doubt this. But the fact that we're struggling, the fact that we have doubts and we want to rise above this in desire anyway, the fact that we want to acknowledge Christ in spite of our doubts, this is proof that we are alive in Christ. So when in doubt of our salvation, of the things that make us Christian, we acknowledge Christ, and Christ assures us. And as our acknowledgement of Christ grows, our assurance in Him can we pray? Lord, thank you that you want to give us this incredible blessed assurance. So Lord, to each and every person here, I pray that you would speak to us in any way that we need to be assured of you. God, maybe some of us need to be assured of our salvation of our relationship with you, of our eternal destination with you forever. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would assure us this morning. Lord, grow our awareness of you. Lord, for some of us, I think we need assurance as we walk with you, as we obey you, as we follow you. Lord, I pray that you would assure us too. God, I pray the way that we acknowledge you through our lives, through our behaviors, through our beliefs, we would grow this week and this year throughout 2022. So that as we look back on this year, at the end of it, we'd be able to see that the way we honor you, acknowledge you, and our level of assurance of you has grown. Grown to a place that we never could have. 
create space for one response this morning. You might be here and you feel like you don't have that level of assurance of God. You don't have that assurance of your salvation. But you want to know for sure that you're saved, that you are forgiven, that you're a child of God, and that for the rest of your life, if something ever happened to you, you would spend eternity with God in heaven. If you want that assurance this morning, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with whether or not you believe in what Jesus did for you. So if you want that confidence and assurance this morning, would you raise your hand?